0: If you haven't been here the past few weeks, we are looking at Psalm 143 because I've been meditating upon this text for the past a few weeks, probably a couple of months. And I felt like David was speaking on my behalf, every word, every verse. And I've used this as my daily communion with God in whatever form and fashion that I was able to do. And I am bringing some of the lessons that I've learned. So let's read it again. Psalm 143, a psalm of David. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplications. Answer me in your faithfulness, in your righteousness. And do not enter into judgment with your servant. For in your sight no man living is righteous. For the enemy has persecuted my soul. He has crushed my light to the ground. He has made me dwell in dark places like those who have long been dead. Therefore, my spirit is overwhelmed within me. My heart is appalled within me. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your doings. I muse on the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul longs for you as a parched land. Answer me quickly, O oh Lord. My spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, or I will become like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear your loving kindness in the morning, for I trust in you. Teach me the way in which I should walk, for to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies, I take refuge in you. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. For the sake of your name, O Lord, revive me. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. And in your loving kindness, cut off my enemies and destroy all those who afflict my soul. For I am your servant. Amen. First Sunday, we talked about verse 1. How he's crying out to God. Hear me. Answer me. And he gave me an insight. And I was very much encouraged. The very fact that he's crying out to God, answer me, tells me God is not answering him. So he gave me great encouragement. Even David had to wait sometimes. And last Sunday we talked about verse 2, saying, No living human is righteous in your sight, so please hold off your judgment for now. And only Christ's righteousness is your hope. We could go to our God only through His righteousness. And it coincided with our teaching of justification. And today I want to draw your attention to verse 5. Notice how I am not talking about all of his groanings. I am going to skip all of that. I am just pointing out the positive things, if you will. But fa- verse 5 is the only thing in this entire psalm that he does. Other than his prayer of deliver me, I am in pain in this situation, verse 5 is the only positive or active thing that he can do and he does in his agony. That is, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your doings. I muse on the work of your hands. Remember, meditate, and muse. If you today, if you are feeling well today, if nothing in your life is really bothering you, the impact of verse 5 will be minimal. You could read and you would say, I remember, I meditate, and I muse, and I will move on. But when I was in that state a few weeks ago, by, by the way, I'm not in 100%, not yet. For example, when I look at something, it shakes. So I can fix my vision to certain thing, 100%. It still is shaking, vibrating. But in that dark month of March and April, when the whole world was turning, literally turning, all day, every day, when I read verse 5, I, was, I told you I was, I was reading this and I remember the first time reading it, it synced with my life 100%. I mean, I couldn't believe it. And oftentimes I would cry out to God using the same verse. But verse 5, when I read verse 5, this was my roadmap. Only thing that I was able to do, I couldn't read. I couldn't have a conversation with someone. If you have ever been dizzy in your life, oh, I feel dizzy, make it times ten, make it hundred times, and think of it as happening all day. It is a scary time for me. it was a scary time for me, a very miserable time for me. My kids, they, they saw I, I was just dying. There was nothing I could do. Doctor's appointment, Weeks away, I've learned something. This is not a right place or time to talk about how the American healthcare system is broken, but it is broken. When you are dying, when you cannot see a doctor, you call them up, they say, We do not take new patients. And the earliest will be in August, but I am dying. Oh, there's nothing I could do. They could do. There's nothing I could do. So I've been suffering for that about five, six weeks without knowing the cause because you don't know the cause, you don't know what to do, right? If you are hurting somewhere, you will know the cause. But nobody knows where it came from, how long it's going to last, what will be the cure, all guessing game, just waiting but dying, I thought. So when he said, I remember, I meditate, and I muse, I immediately took it as an instruction and I tried to do it. Only problem was I was dizzy, so I couldn't do it. You read verse 5 and you say, I nod and okay, I remember, I meditate, I muse. I'm telling you, you are not desperate. Verse 5 was very hopeful to me and I knew exactly what to do but I couldn't do. So what do you do? I try to go to sleep. Because staying awake was painful. I couldn't do it. There was nothing I could do. So I try to sleep but can you sleep all day? Right. So in that in those months I tried to verse 5. But let's look at this text. A bit more. I remember, meditate, muse, they are all different words. I remember the word means also, it could also mean mention. So as I remember the days of old, I am mentioning it to God. Like having a conversation. It is not merely a mental exercise. I remember in my head. But as you remember, you are talking back to God. You are are talking to God. God, I remember the days of old. I meditate. The word could mean groan, growl, moan, ponder by talking to oneself, speak, or proclaim. It gives us the, the full picture of The word, I meditate, but I could groan. It's not sitting down with Bible open and and just thinking, meditating like this. But you are groaning. And just as I was doing it, I couldn't think. I couldn't meditate. But groaning. And God will take that. God will receive that. On all your doings. I muse. It's a playful word. I muse on the work of your hands. But muse could also mean be concerned, occupy one's attention in thought, consideration, in complaint, and in speaking. It's a lot of things. I remember. I meditate. I muse. I remember. I meditate, and I muse. What? Days of old, all your doings, and the work of your hands. Everything that God has done for me, I remember, I meditate or groan, and I muse upon it. It is a mental activity, but also, because of the content, it is a spiritual activity. In order for you to remember, meditate, and muse, it presupposes that you have true and intimate knowledge of God from the Word and from your life. In David, in his whatever the situation there was in verse 5, this arises within him naturally, habitually, and experientially. It is his experience that he had with God that he is remembering. So, it tells us our knowledge of God should start from the Word of God, but it shouldn't be confined to it. It's not mere intellectual information that you have about God. If I ask you, do you have anything, any things to remember, meditate, and muse when you think about your God? It will divide into a couple of groups in the congregation. One will say, yes, I remember when God delivered me from this. You have experiential knowledge of God. Some people will say, I know God, but there is no such experience with me. So let's look at David's life a bit more today. David and God, they go way back. You don't know when this 143rd Psalm was written. Just because it's in the back of the Psalm doesn't mean it is written when he was old. We don't know what he was, but we know they have a long history together. Let's go to the hill country of Beth, that's house of Lehem, bread house, Bethlehem. What was he when he was young? He was a shepherd boy. He was the youngest son, but I would say he was almost like he was abandoned, neglected, discarded, unwanted. Why do I say that? Because he had seven older brothers, seven of them. He's the eighth. He had two more sisters. But who is taking care of the sheep? The youngest son. I mean, if you would ask any father in the congregation, if you have to take care of sheep, let's say you have hundred of them, who would you send? I would send my oldest. I will not send carries to take care of sheep but that's what he was doing all seven brothers were not on the field the youngest boy was tending the sheep remember when samuel came to the town the elders of town were terrified because samuel was man of god and he could bring down fire from heaven so they asked him do you come in peace They were trembling, literally. And everybody knew why Samuel was in town. We talked about this a couple of years ago. Everybody knew when Samuel came, he came to anoint the next king. What that means is the entire town could be wiped out by King Saul. And he invited David's father, Jesse, to the sacrifice. And this is what the text says in 1 Samuel 16. Thus, Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, one by one. And Samuel was impressed with the first one, but God says no. God says no. God says no. "No." So like seven men, they are passing in front of Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. If you are Jesse, what would you say? Everybody knows Samuel is about to choose the next king. If you have eight sons, you just passed seven sons before Samuel, and God says no, what would you say? Wouldn't you say, Oh, wait, I have one more. Can you take a look at him? But Jesse wouldn't say, So Samuel says this, and Samuel said to Jesse, Are these all the children? And Jesse says, There remains yet the youngest, and behold, he is tending the sheep. That's all he would say. He does not say, Oh, I forgot about him. Oh, let's go get him. He does not say. He says, Oh, there is one more. He's tending the sheep. So what does Samuel say? Then Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. As I was reading this, I was getting angry this week. Who forgets his youngest? Who sends the youngest to the field? Who does not invite the youngest to the biggest party of his life? One of my sons could be chosen as the next king, and still he does not bring his youngest, David. What about his brothers? I don't like them either. If you are, line, if you are lining up in front of Samuel, wouldn't you look around and say, hey, where's David? None of these boys will say those. I don't like any of them. That's why Psalm 27, verse 10, same David says this, For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. I don't know, it's conjecture, so I'm not going to say. But like I said, David had to rely upon his God since he was young. Father doesn't care. Brothers, doesn't. they do not care. Nobody cares about him. He's taking care of sheep in the field. He is unwanted. He's not invited. That's why he has something to remember with his God. The days of old, I meditate on all your doings. I muse on the work of your hands. Why? because he spends so much of his time alone in the field by himself to survive and to cope. So a resilient and experiential faith is forged in loneliness, in poverty, and in ill health. If you live your life Smoothly, everything is provided for and everything is good. There's nothing for you to remember when hardship comes. You do not, you have never reached out to God, cried out to God, you have never experienced God delivering you from certain situations, so you don't know what to do. So whenever bad things happen to you, those are the times that you go to God. And you store up those experiences with God. You know, these days, you look at the TV or the internet, what do you see? Thieves come into the stores and they just take the things away. A couple of years ago, that was shocking to me. Not anymore. Could you imagine going back, let's say, a decade ago, you walk into Rite Aid and grab things and walking out. People were still, they were put into their pockets and long coats. And yeah, there were always people like that, but not like this. They just walk in, they walk out. And I wonder why wouldn't anyone stop them? Why wouldn't you stop them? Because you don't want to get killed over these, those materials. It's not worth it. And you are not the owner, you are a, simply an employee. You are, you are a guard there. But you see people getting killed over these materials, so you will just let it go. So people come in, they don't even run away, they just grab it, they just walk out. It's shocking. What did David do? David, the sheep, they were not his sheep. Whenever I read this account, it always moves me. First Samuel 17, he is in the presence of King Saul, and he is about to go and kill this giant. And what does he say? I read this a few times this week. It says this. This is the first thing that he says to Saul. But David said to Saul, Your servant was tending his father's sheep. It's not mine. And father doesn't care. And this is what happened. When a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went out after him. I mean, it's not mine. I don't care. I shouldn't care. That's not what he did. I was tending my father's sheep. When a lion or bear, so I looked it up. Was there a lion in Palestine? It seems like there was. So when a lion or bear came and took a lamb from the flock, what would you do if you were treated like David? Uru knew, not care, but he says this, I went out after him. Not only that, attacked him, and here it is, and rescued it, the animal, rescued it from his mouth. When he says rescued, it occurred to me that animal was still alive. So it is a quick action. It is not after 20 minutes, oh, let me go after him. Let me get my, you know, sword or, or arrow and let's go after him. No, it was immediate. When these beasts came and snatched one from his flock, he would spring up after them and would go after them, attack him and rescue it from its mouth while it's still alive. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. I thought about it. Have you killed anything? Can you kill an ant? It is one thing to kill an ant. It is another thing to kill a a living, breathing mammal. Can you kill a chicken? (laughs) It's a bad example. I saw long time ago, when I, when I was a kid, a woman killing a chicken. It was a market, like countryside market. I was visiting somebody. It was supposed to be like a barbecue chicken place. But woman, I'm not going to say how, <laughs> but killed a chicken. I was like six or seven in the countryside. I was shocked. And immediately that thing goes limp. Immediately. Can you kill a chicken? When men gather in our own culture, they talk about army because everybody had to go to army. I remember one guy talking about an entire platoon couldn't kill a cornered cat. When a thing is cornered, cat, can you kill a cat? They couldn't. Obviously, these men in the army they couldn't kill it. With bare hand, can you grab a cat? Can you grab it by the beard and, and kill a cat? I bet you, you can't. And this boy will go after these beasts, will grab it from his mouth, seize it by his beard, and struck him and killed him. And your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine who? Goliath will be like one of them. Since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear. He will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. What a wonderful testimony. I looked it up. Word comma I this time. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and paw of the bear. And it struck me, Paul, if you are making up a story like this, what would you say? I would say, teeth. Teeth will kill me. Lion's teeth, bear teeth, or his nail, it will kill me. But he says, though, Paul, is an eyewitness account. I looked it up. Wikipedia says this, how do the bears, they kill? Someone who experienced that attack said this. When attacking humans, black bears will rear up on their hind legs and knock victims over with their paws. They will then make one or two bites on arm or leg and finish with a snap to the head, this being the most dangerous part of the attack. So when I saw that word paw of the bear, I thought, wow, he literally saw these beasts Coming up, trying to strike him. Bethlehem is not Wyoming. It's not wilderness. But he would spend days alone in that countryside. All alone by himself. No one to talk to. Talk about depression. No friends. We have a couple of dogs. If you have dogs, you could talk to dogs. They are smart. But sheep? Can you talk to sheep? I don't know. I heard they're not so intelligent. He has no future, no hope, certainly no hope of getting married, no girls to see, no money. He has absolutely no one. And when these things happened, he cared enough to go after these things, risk his lives. All these times I'm telling you, David had to rely upon his God. Every day, all day. You feed the sheep, but you will lie down. You take care of yourself and you lie down. And those were the times that he will pray to God. There's no entertainment. Probably that's why he was a musician too. In 1 Samuel 16, somebody recommends the son of Jesse. But the very first thing that he says about him was he was a skillful musician, a mighty man of valor, a warrior, one prudent in speech, a handsome man. And the Lord is with him. He was a skillful musician. He sang all the time. And in the First Chronicles chapter 23, it says this, now David became old and full of days, and he made his son Solomon king of Israel. And he gathered together all the leaders of Israel with priests and Levites, and the Levites that he assembled were this, this many. Levites were numbered from 30 years old and upward, and their number by census of men was 38,000. Of these, 24,000 were to direct the work of house of Yahweh, and 6,000 were officers and judges and 4,000 were gatekeepers, and 4,000 were praising Yahweh. He organized 4,000-member choir. 4,000 were praising Yahweh with the instruments which David made for giving praise. He was a psalm writer. He was a poet. He was a skilled musician, harp. He would play play harp in front of Saul. But he was concerned about the praising Yahweh. He organized this big choir, but he also invested his time and money in inventing instruments with which the people could praise God. And you come and read in verse 5, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your doings. I muse on the work of your hands, all his life. Obviously, we are skipping over his times of fleeing from his own son Absalom as a fugitive. And all he has so many enemies all his life. but he relied upon God, and God delivered him. So he has things to remember. What that verse 5 is so encouraging to all of us is that he's not simply saying, I remember a verse. I meditate in the law of God. He does not say, or elsewhere he does, but here he is just remembering everything. Everything that God has done for him. So expand. Your horizon. When you think about God, it is not. It is more than Bible study. Our life, Christian life, is more than studying doctrines and theology. It should be there. Without it, you have less things to remember. But it is about life together with your God. And here in this verse, the Bible gives us a permission to bring back to your memories all the things that your God, Creator and Redeemer, has done for you. I say this because I am talking to a conservative Christians. Because we were taught that we have a high view of God which is infallible and inerrant and it gives us Such an impression that only thing that we could trust is the Word of God. We cannot trust feelings or experiences. But look at verse 5 I remember the days of old, His own experiences. Is it infallible? No, only the Word is. But we know that God, that infallible Word teaches, is faithful God, and I have experienced his salvation in a narrow sense, from justification to all the way, and whenever these things were happening, God delivered me. So he is remembering the days of old. So when you are suffering, it is okay and you are commanded to remember the things that God did for you i've learned in my own experience the past few weeks and months we do not have to afraid to use the word positive thinking what else do you have negative thinking no christian thinking is positive thinking but i've learned Positive thinking is impossible without faith. Also, positive thinking is impossible with, without some kind of experiential knowledge of God. Some positive things to remember. If you don't have any of those, verse 5 will not make any sense. You cannot remember anything. And you're not going to remember anything bad. You are going to remember anything good. But do you have those moments with your God is the question. Because inevitably, there will come a time in your life you will doubt. You will go low. Like me, you cannot do anything. When you cannot think, what can you do? Nothing. Positive attitude will not work. It simply doesn't work. But Christians, we like David, we could say, We remember the days of old. I meditate on all your doings. I muse on the walk of your, ha- walk of your hands. Anything and everything that the Word says, Word testifies to, that the grace of God that I've experienced, you will bring all of those things to your remembrance. You will remember those and it will sustain you for the moment. So set out to do then. I was going to end right here, but let me add one more thing to you as a practical instruction. Subject in this verse is I, David. I remember, I meditate, and I muse. We are a church. What that means is, if one part suffers, all the other parts will suffer with it. So we pray for each other. But let me give you one more instruction. Praying for such a person who is suffering is important, but it is given. It is an obvious thing. As a Christian, as this church, we pray for each other. But, if one of us is suffering... That person, I believe, is doing verse five. Even without knowing verse five, Christians will think about the past graces in their lives. So that they could be sustained for today. If they could open up the Bible, they would, but like me, I couldn't. So only thing that I was able to do was to memorize this chapter and Psalm, and I would recite it, but I couldn't, my brain was not working, so I would remember a verse here, a verse there. But if that person, if a Christian in this congregation, if they are doing, remembering, meditating, musing upon God's graces, our job is to aid them to do that. Okay? It's not simply to pray for them. You could pray for them, But I want you to go step farther so that they could remember, meditate, and muse, which they are already doing. All Christians, they will do that. But you need to help them. You could send them a message, you could visit them, you could pray for them, whatever that you could do, but reinforce what they are doing. Negatively speaking, this is what you shouldn't do. I thought about whether I should Talk about this, but I decided to do it anyway. I was dying one of those days, literally dying. A brother called me to pray for me, which I was very thankful. But I couldn't really listen to it. It was I was feeling it was it it feels like my bed is sinking this way. So I couldn't think, but I was thankful to hear his voice. It's always good to visit or call someone. But he called and before he prayed, he talked about some kind of business. So that kind of threw me off. <laughs> so he's not really calling to pray. He, he, want, he wants to talk about the business. So I said, okay, do whatever you want to do. Oh, it's not Tom, it's not Gene, okay? So. <laughs> While he was praying, he said this. I don't know what he said in the beginning part, but toward end he said, if this thing is going to last lifetime, give him enough grace to suffer well with it. By nature, I'm not a patient man. I wanted to rebuke at the time. When people are suffering, trust that that person is thinking about that all the time. They're expert on that. And at the time because I didn't know the cause, my biggest fear was that what if this last would last my lifetime. That was my biggest fear. No one saw me. No doctor saw me. No one knew what was happening, what the cause was. The biggest fear of me was, as I read from the internet, many people fear that when you have that kind of dizziness, like vertigo-like attack. Biggest fear is that they feel like they are dying, and they feel they, they are fearful that what if this will last forever. When I was struggling with that, that person said, probably out of good heart. But it triggered me. There are things that trigger your your, your fears. And in the name of prayer, he basically laid before my eyes the very fear that I was struggling with. If you're going to pray that kind of prayer, don't pray. If it's going to last, last life lifetime, what good is the prayer? Don't pray that kind of prayer. That's what I am saying. They are trying to meditate, remember Muse, help them do that. So immediately hanging up, what do you think I was doing? If I was fearful for that 90%, he added 20% onto my burden. Whereas my good friend David, he was my therapist. He still is. I would call him, he would call me, whatever, text me, whatever. He will always say, always say you will get better. You are struggling, so you are doubting. Whatever your struggle is, you doubt. You doubt God's goodness, you doubt how long this is going you doubt whether you are improving or not. You are fearful and doubting all the time. That's what you're doing. And you are trying to fix it by remembering, meditating and muse and when you are 10% better, there is someone who says to you everything is going to be okay you will get better what, what? you know what you do truthfully verse 5 didn't help me a lot I tried but didn't work but when, let's say, David says something like that, I will latch onto it. When he says everything's going to be alright, I'm going to latch onto that word sentence and I will recite that, his own word. Next Sunday, probably I will talk about it more. People are doing that. Then help them. Help them remember, meditative muse by reinforcing God's goodness to them. If you're not able to do that, don't show up. Don't call. Don't text. If you're going to pray, pray with full confidence in the Lord. Let them, suffering people, hear them. If you're not, step back. Let the mighty man of valor and faith step up and pray for the suffering people. Ephesians 5, 18 and following says this, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. You know what the people who are filled with the Spirit do? Here, they don't speak in tongues, but speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. That's what the Spirit-filled people and congregation do. They speak to one another. some hymns, and spiritual songs, they are positive things. Singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father, and being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Let us do that. Let us do that for one another. Let us remember, meditate, and muse. Let us help each other do that in the name of Christ, making melody within our hearts to the Lord. And may God deliver all of us from our afflictions, heartaches, body aches, so that when God deliver us for what? To go on about our lives and businesses? No to praise God, to worship God, and to serve God along with one another in this church. Always giving thanks. Let us pray.